Good morning. I am so grateful for the opportunity that Eric has once again afforded me to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning, and I'm appreciative of you being here today. Despite the weather outside, we're glad for the rain, aren't we? And uh, we're thankful that it has replenished the earth, and I trust that the Lord will water our souls today through His Word. I'm reminded as I begin the story I heard of a boy who was visiting an old country store. Perhaps you've been in this kind of store before. It was the kind where they had a lot of their dry goods uh, stored in barrels around, and you would take out of the bulk of that. And there was also in this store a molasses barrel. And uh, the little boy in the store was leaning against the molasses barrel, and his hand slipped, and he, his arm went into the molasses up to the elbow. And he pulled it out, dripping with molasses, and he looked at it, and he said, Oh, Lord, give me a tongue equal to my opportunity. <laughs> That's the prayer of my heart. And I suppose in many ways it's the prayer of every preacher's heart. Oh, Lord, give me a tongue equal to the opportunity. And what an opportunity it is to be able to open the Word of God. If you've got your Bibles, turn in them to Matthew, the sixth chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 24 as we continue in a series of messages that uh, began this summer for us. Let me put this passage into its proper context before we read it together. The Sermon on the Mount is an example of Jesus' preaching about the kingdom of God. He's setting forth there, as it were, a uh, a declaration of what it means to be kingdom citizens. He was here to establish the kingdom of God. And so he begins by, first of all, casting a vision of what life in the kingdom is like. And he does that in what we call the Beatitudes. He says, you're going to really have a blessed life if you embrace these inner qualities that he talks about in that opening part. And then after that, he talks about our purpose as kingdom citizens. And uh, I preached on that where we talked about those purposes being to be salt and to be light. And then following that, I believe that Jesus begins to take on three major challenges that we face as kingdom citizens. If we're going to be productive and fruitful citizens in the kingdom of God, there are going to be certain challenges that we face because the kingdom of God orders itself in a way different from the way that the world lives out its life. And uh, the three challenges, first of all, the challenge is to be heart righteous rather than superficially righteous. Jesus talks about uh, saying to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We see the scribes and the Pharisees had mastered the art of outward religion. They did it meticulously and with great intensity. And uh, Jesus begins a series of statements where he says, you've heard that it was said to the men of old, thus and so, but I say unto you, and then he puts, as it were, a heart corrective there. All of this message really centers around what's going on in our hearts. And he says that we need to be able to make sure that as we're fulfilling righteousness before God, that it is a heart righteousness and not just an outward, superficial kind of righteousness. 
But then he takes on, as it were, I believe, a second challenge that we face as kingdom citizens. And in this particular case, it is that we must guard against seeking human recognition as opposed to seeking the recognition and praise that comes from God as we fulfill his will and purpose. And uh, for the last three weeks, Eric was uh, preaching on those passages where he talks about the way that we give alms and the way that we pray and the way that we fast. And all of them were cautions uh, that we would face the challenge of being kingdom citizens by not focusing primarily on uh, human praise and recognition. You know, that is ultimately driven by pride. And uh, C.S. Lewis is the one who, who I, helped me understand the fact that all pride is driven by comparison. We like to compare ourselves to others, and we like to stand uh, over and above others. And uh, Jesus cautions, and he says, if we're going to be kingdom citizens, we've got to lay that aside and seek the pleasure and the satisfaction of God in what we do. And then today, we're going to be looking at the third challenge. It's another arena, as it were, of vulnerability, that if we're going to be kingdom citizens, we must deal with this, and it has to do with the matter of materialism. And so we're beginning, going to begin reading in chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word together this morning. Matthew, the 6th chapter, verses 19 to 24. Jesus here says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, we ask together this morning that you would open our hearts to hear and receive this word from you. And may it have its full intended impact upon the way we live our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would. If I were going to place a title on this message, I would call it the challenge of living in a material world. The challenge of living in a material world. You see, the problem really, though, is not the fact that we live in a material world. God created this world. And as he created each component of it, he pronounced it to be good. So the problem is not what God created. The problem is not where we live, but how we relate to where we live. He wants us to understand that it is not the ultimate where we live here on this earth. It is not the eternal. It is not to be our focus. 
but we live in a world surrounded with an attitude that is depicted so aptly in a song made famous by Madonna. Maybe you're familiar with the lyrics of that song. The chorus of it goes like this. Because everybody's living in a material world, and I am a material girl. You know that we're living in a material world, and I am a material girl. Living in a material world, and I'm a material girl. You know we're living in a material world, and I'm a material girl, a material, a material, a material, a material world. Do you get her point? (laughs) Jesus' message on the mount is... Pointing, pointing us in a very different direction than this, though. And he says, yes, you live in a material world, but that's not the whole story. And he couches his teaching on this issue in a series of three contrasts that we're going to look together at this morning. And like everything that has gone before in regard to the kingdom, this too is centered on our hearts. It's not primarily about what's in our hand that matters. It's what is in our heart that matters first and foremost. You see, there is a danger, if we're not careful, of knowing the cost of everything and the value of nothing. And so Jesus says, first of all, we need to have a proper value system. And this is recorded for us here in these verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here he's contrasting two things, the temporal and the eternal. It was A.W. Pink who says this, one of the most pathetic sights in this world is to behold the unregenerate, vainly seeking happiness and contentment in the things of time and sense and finding that these things are all broken cisterns that can hold no water. They are like the poor woman in Mark 5.26 who had spent all that she had and yet had not gotten any better. Instead, she grew worse. As we think about this that Jesus is talking about, the first point that he makes is materialism will make us vulnerable to loss. If we, like Madonna, sign on to say, I'm a material man, I'm a material woman, I'm a material boy or girl, and that's the end of the story, then the fact is that you're vulnerable to losing it all. You will either lose it in life or you will lose it in death. There's an old adage that says there are no pockets in a shroud. I remember hearing the story of, a, of two men who were standing watching a funeral procession go by and it carried the body of an extremely wealthy man. And the one turned to the other and he said, I wonder how much he left. And the other man turned back and wisely said, why, he left everything. And that's the truth of the matter. 
We either lose it now or we lose it later. Jesus here describes how it's possible to lose it now. He says that it, it is possible for the moth and rust to consume it and thieves break in and steal it. And that's the vulnerability of material things. And here is the fact of this whole matter. And that is every single thing you have ever seen with your eyes is of a material nature. And it is therefore temporal. If you walk through your home and you pick up a lamp, maybe it's an heirloom, one that came down to you by other members of the family, and you turn it upside down, on the bottom of it, it is going to say, passing away. If you go over to your money box and you open it up to see how much wealth you've collected, when you lift up that box and turn it over, on the bottom side of it, it says, this is temporal. Every single thing that has been given into our lives is temporal. And Jesus, therefore, says, I want you to be careful in the handling of it. Know of a reality that it is passing away, that it is temporal. In 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, verses 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul writes these words of counsel. He says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a, tr into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now the problem is not how much do we have. Paul says, I can be satisfied with food and clothing. But the simple truth is, that is still material things. So the problem is not how much stuff do you have. The issue is, what is your relationship to that stuff? Jesus, in this passage, says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Literally, if you were to take it from the Greek wording there, you could say it, do not treasure up for yourself treasures on earth. The laying up is the treasuring up of those things. It's taking those things and putting them in a place of prominence in our life that God never intended them to be. And therefore, he cautions and he says, everything you look on, realize it's passing away. It is temporal. But then he says, we must instead aim toward heavenly wealth. In other words, I think we could say that we are to become heavenly hoarders. I don't think that anywhere we're told that we need to put a limit on how much we accrue there. There is a program called The Hoarders, and it is a heartbreaking story where it reveals the lives of people who have been overwhelmed by the things that they have. And you watch that show and you see people who literally can barely navigate their way through their homes because they have so much stuff around them. But what if instead we decided we were going to become heavenly hoarders, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? We come closer then, I think, to what C.S. Lewis says when he says, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. There's the parable of the wealthy man who built bigger barns, rich in the things of the world, but poor toward God. 
But what if we become rich toward God instead, treasures in heaven? Now, interestingly enough, as best I can tell, there's nowhere in the Scripture that we can turn to and with absolute certainty see what treasures in heaven defines itself as. The Jews associated treasures in heaven with deeds of kindness done on earth or the character and development of, of ourselves. Uh, those were the things that they thought were treasures in heaven. Uh, maybe this is something that we can discover a little bit concerning over in uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, where he says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So a simple truth is that if we get good at praising God, we were helped in that this morning, weren't we, by the choir and the orchestra, as together we could celebrate and praise God. But that's something, guess what? You get to take with you to heaven. There are pictures to showing us what's going to be going on in heaven, and there we join our voices along with a great chorus. The Bible describes it as being unnumbered, and the fact is that it is from every nation and people and tribe and tongue, all singing the praises of God. Let's get rich in the praise of God. But then perhaps it also has to do with the laying up of good works. Now, good works can be a very broad-based kind of reality in our lives. It certainly could be leading other people to faith in Christ. And sometimes people talk about the fact that, that you can take other people with you to heaven. Well, in one sense, yes, you're, you know, may be the, the instrument that God uses, but ultimately uh, what we take to heaven is the evidence of good works done by him through us. That's why Jesus earlier in this, in this Sermon on the Mount said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because it's God who's working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And he's given you good works to perform, which he prepared beforehand with your own signature on them so that you are to do them. Maybe that's the riches that he's talking about here. But we need to be willing to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Ultimately, it is an indicator of our hearts. Do not lay up for yourself. Don't treasure the things on this earth. But rather, treasure the things that are in heaven. Now, that's the first contrast that Jesus gives as he's helping us to understand how to deal with the challenge of materialism. But then he goes on to talk about the fact that it is, it is not just verbiage that he's declaring here, but it's imperative that we see this. And that requires that we be able to have eyes that are functioning properly. And so he talks about this in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
Now, the temptation is to think here in terms of, of the physical. We do have physical eyes, and a person who is blind, either born that way or through some accident or problem, becomes blind, they have a difficulty navigating their way through life. Life, in many ways, poses many dangers to them. And they may tap their way along with a white cane, or they may have a, a dog that has been trained to help lead them. But life is, is far more difficult when you can't see, when you're walking in darkness, as it were. But Jesus here may be talking, more importantly, about our spiritual eyes. Do we have spiritual eyes to see the reality of what he's talking about here? Because without that, it's not going to make real sense. It's not going to connect with us. Jesus may be saying, how do you see things? What's your spiritual point of view? One of the greatest challenges, I believe, of being a follower of Christ is to see things from a spiritual perspective. Certainly the disciples had a hard time doing this. Jesus struggled with the fact that they had a hard time understanding what he was talking about. You remember the time when he says, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they look at one another and, you know, give it one of these, what's he talking about? We don't have any bread. And, and Jesus says to them, don't you realize I'm not talking about physical bread, but rather I'm talking about the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy that they practice. And then the light goes on because he turns the light on for them, as it were. He opens their spiritual eyes to see a reality that they were missing. But the fact is that we live in spiritual darkness until the Lord opens our, the eyes of our hearts. That is our condition. Over in Romans, the first chapter there, as it talks about men turning away from God, not giving him the honor that is doing, due him and giving him the proper thanks, when that happens, it says our foolish hearts become darkened. And that is the human condition apart from God's grace. God alone must open our hearts. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul really saw his ministry as this ministry. Over in Acts, the 27th chapter, I was just reading through the book of Acts over the last weeks, just one chapter a day, just meditating on it, reading it from several different translations. But in Acts 27, Jesus is giving another, or uh, Paul is giving another recounting of his uh, salvation experience. And there he talks about the fact that he was charged to go forth to open the eyes of people. That's his ministry. He said, my, my ministry is primarily an eye-opening ministry. Well, I don't think that he saw that primarily as being a physical thing. Perhaps God graced him with the ability to heal people who were physically blind, but primarily Paul was talking about, I'm opening people's spiritual eyes. I'm bringing the light to bear upon their lives. And the fact is, we must learn to walk in that light. We're either going to make our focus the, the material things around us, or we're going to get our chins lifted and our eyes lifted toward heaven. Over in Colossians, the first chapter, 
or the third chapter, verses 1 and 2, he says, but set your mind on things that are above where Christ is. Keep looking beyond what this earth has to offer and keep looking toward heaven. Keep seeing Jesus in his beauty and in his glory and singing, hallelujah, what a savior. Because it is there that we begin to see things as they really are. We see what really matters most and we can begin to prioritize our lives in relationship to that. You see, the impact of walking in the light changes all we think or do. You're still going to be living in a material world, but how you look at those things is going to be different. You're not going to have the same tug and pull toward them. You're not going to have the same level, perhaps, of attachment and affection to those things. And how you ultimately settle that in the court of your heart is going to be between you and the Lord. And different people will decide to try and manage that in different ways. I had a friend who, one of the things that he did to try and manage this, this whole thing, he had, he had seen that he didn't want to overvalue material things, put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And so he had made this pledge to himself. He said, I will never own anything that I am not willing to give away. It was just his way of saying, I don't want my fingerprints to be so deeply embedded on everything that I have and hold that I'm not willing to let go of it. That may not work for you, and that may not be the direction that you're going to use to, to manage this, but at some point, if you see material things as God wants you to see them, then you're going to have a different relationship to them. It's going to change the way you think about those things and what you do with those things. And so that brings us then to the third, as it were, contrast that Jesus gives here. And this third contrast has to do with the issue of lordship being at the center of all of this. Here he contrasts two things. It's in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here he is conditioning these two things against one another. Some translations call this money, others call it mammon. Interesting, the word itself, mammon, comes from a root that means to entrust. Everything that you have has been entrusted to you. That's not the problem. It's when you begin to put your trust in what has been entrusted to you. That's the problem. And it's easy to do if we're not careful. We begin to think that what we have matters more than how we relate to what we have. We begin to become possessed of our possessions. And Jesus here says, you can't do that. Ultimately, this gets to the bottom right-hand corner of this whole consideration. Some of you who are here this morning are bottom-line people. Let's cut to the chase. Let's get over to the right-hand column, bottom line. Where does this all deal with? And I believe it deals with the most important question in all of life. I may have suggested this to you before, but I, I really believe it heart and soul 
that the most important question in all of life is, who's in charge here? Because that's going to determine everything else that goes on in our lives. Our lives cannot leave any exceptions in this. In fact, there is no exception to the rule that Jesus gives here. He says, you cannot serve two masters. That is a gospel truth. You cannot. And God's not going to make any exceptions. You're not going to be his pet where he says, well, I'll bend the rules for you. It won't happen. You can't serve two masters. Jesus said you're going to either be devoted to the one and despise the other, or you're going to uh, despise the one and be devoted to the other. You can't serve both God and material things ultimately. You can't put your trust in both of those things. And as you consider this, there's a reason why Jesus means that we embrace this truth. First of all, it's more than just having a divided heart. It is having a deceived heart. If you put your trust in material things, you've been deceived. It's going to ultimately fail you. You'll live with a regret saying, I spent my life investing in the wrong things. And the truth is, you've believed a lie. It cannot be both and. It is either or. And that involves our will. You have to choose who's in charge here. Either God or something else. So, what will be your plan for obeying what the Lord has been talking to us about this morning? In other words, what are you going to do with it? You see, the temptation is that we'll miss the mark by not doing something with it. Many come to church to receive, few come to relate. Many come to watch, few come to work. Many come to socialize, few come to surrender. Many come to hear, few come to do. And this will be an exercise in futility for you and me if we have no intention of doing anything with what we've heard this morning. Of all the considerations that we would give attention to, the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart, guard your eyes, guard your choices, all of them in the context of what we've been talking about this morning. Because the bottom line is you cannot have it both ways. You must decide which matters the most. And the issue is not so much what you say with your lips, 
but what your life is going to give evidence of. It's very possible for us to profess a faith that is not a practiced faith. And it's an empty faith, a dead faith, a useless faith. And so, what will be our response? You know, as I've tried to think, because I'm preaching to myself, just like I am to you, I live in that same material world. I've got to make those same choices in my own life. And so, what do I do with it? And to be honest with you, I struggle with these issues because I'm surrounded with a world that constantly is encouraging me to, to want more. And more isn't necessarily bad, but it can be a, a very hungry monster in our lives. Someone once asked one of the wealthiest people in the world, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. How do we get satisfied in life? How much is enough? Do I always need more? I could get real personal. I could talk about my clothes closet and walk in there. How many different shirts do I really need? How many different pairs of pants do I really need? I've been to countries before where the options were very limited. They had no closed closet to walk into to say, well, what color will I wear today and will it match what I'm putting on? They had very limited decision making. And we've surrounded ourselves with so much stuff. And I, to be honest, I don't know how many shirts are too many. Probably less than what I have, though. But it's not just the more, it's also the new. And the new isn't necessarily bad. I mean, the fact of the matter is this. I doubt that there's anyone in this room right now that is still using a rotary phone. <laughs> At some point, you laid hold of the new. And, at least as it was presented to us, it was the new and improved. And I suppose it's up for debate whether it's better or not. But all of us are carrying around things that are newer than the old things that we used to carry about. We laugh about the fact that when our daughter went off to college, she had a bag phone. You know what we're talking about? Well, before that, everybody had CBs. Remember that? And then we got bag phones, and then we got uh, those bigger phones that became cellular, and then, you know, it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and I was watching a video this week that talked about the fact that they have developed now in Israel, it looks truly like a bracelet. And you can put it on your arm, and it will project against your skin the screen of your device. And you can interact with it by touching your skin. And if you get a phone call, you can answer it 
by punch, punching the button on your skin. Now, I don't know that I'm ever going to own one of those. <laughs> but it's new. And I guarantee you that there will be people who will beat a door to the opportunity to buy one. The new, the more, the different. Sometimes we just buy because it's different. We're ready for change. And I, I don't know how threadbare the carpet needs to get before you say it's time to replace it. Have you gotten that one figured out yet? These are not easy answers. And I'm not trying to pray, play frivolous about this. I'm just saying if we're going to make sense out of what Jesus is talking about here, these are going to be the kinds of areas that we're going to have to wrestle with and have some reason at least for the choices we make for the decisions we make to say I'm really trying to to live my life in light of the counsel of Jesus he gave this counsel not to try and limit our lives he gave it because he loves us he's saying I love you enough that I want you to experience life at its best and it isn't lived with a materialistic point of view and therefore make that choice carefully if I were to Again, be really honest with you. I don't know, on a scale of failing to A, F to A, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not getting an A plus in this subject. I'm trying to pull my grade up some. How about you? Where's your heart this morning? Is it tender to the Lord in this regard? Now, you may be here this morning, and you're hearing these words, and if you're honest, you would say, but I'm not part of that kingdom you've been talking about. I've never really ever confessed Jesus as my king, and uh, my question to you is, are you going to do that? And you go, well, I seem to be getting along okay right now, and my question is, how long can you keep on doing that? Because there's going to be a point when your time is going to run out. And have you figured out how you get out of life alive? There's only one way. And that is by bowing your knee to Jesus Christ and saying, Jesus, I need you to come in and save me. I need you to make me a new person. I need you to be the king of my life and my Lord and Savior, and I give my life over to you. And if you've not done that, I would encourage you to do that today. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, you know, that's true, then listen to that and obey that and respond to that. And you can do that by just simply saying, Lord, I need you come into my life forgive me for having tried to run the show I'm not a fit person to run this universe you are and I acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior and in a moment we're going to stand and sing and it could be an opportunity for you to come and say you know I need to do that today in this place many of us though probably most of us have already done that and this is a message to you as a kingdom citizen from the king He's called us to himself to say, here's my counsel to you on this. 
and here's how your life can be best lived. You can't serve two masters. You're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to have a right understanding of the temporal and eternal. You're going to have to see it through spiritual eyes. Are you going to do that? That's our challenge. But it's also our opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you that you've given an unusual freedom to be able to speak. And I thank you that as we've shared truths of your word, that your spirit has been working. I'm reminded of that phrase that we sometimes sing, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And Lord, that is certainly true in this regard. We need you to take these words and make them live in our hearts and let them make a difference in how we live out the rest of our lives. Father, use this time now as we do consider our decisions, our choices. Use this time to glorify your name, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.